we were trapped. There was no doubting that. Our jail, though full of blood, was not red as might be expected. It was pitch black, a space devoid of light, yet against all odds, not devoid of life. A human moved us, a boy. He used us to bend and to breathe. He beat us up, bruised us soft, sometimes cracked us, then shrugged it all off in a show of moxie. The body was our apartment building, the veins our telephone lines, arteries our musical instruments. We sent fits of emotion to each other, beat out in dissonant echoes, which traveled through the marrow like wind through a wind chime. Anger, aggression, frustration, pain, even joy, although that one mostly came from the soft tissue surrounding the genitalia. Only select bits of feeling we sent through the nerves to the brain, though that was our assigned duty. There was no pay, no exchange of value or currency from one part to another. Our jail was no rehabilitation center. We would not be sent out into the world with skills or money. We would not be sent out at all. The body was the beginning and the end. It was our final destination and our only mother. Sometimes we loved our home. When the body slept and the brain slowed, there was beauty to behold. No gurgling of fluid, no signals to send, no stimulation from things outside. We were allowed for seven and a half hours a night to forget about the jail. The body creaked upon waking. The muscles were jostled from their delightful slumber, tortured, tickled, until codes of stiffness were sent to the brain. Waking was the grand reminder of being forever locked in place. Just a gasp of light would have revealed the parasites marbled in our bony whites. They snaked to and fro across our hard exteriors, anchoring each bone to his or her assigned goosh of muscle. The nerves grew and shrank with circumstance. They tested our marrow, bit by bit, for unusual sensitivities before slithering through. They pushed hard like a pulsing drill bit, cresting, retreating, but always cresting again. When a nice warm spot of inner bone was deemed comfortable, the nerves spread their fingers, each branching a thousand times to make sure we felt every last jolt. Once pelvic bone moaned as he was thrust awake by the ungodly patchwork of neurons inside him. He struggled to shift. It was like being caught in wet hair. It was the last day he decided that he would feel the rhythm of the pulsing fibers. The last day he would have to compare his jail cell with the limitless potential of whatever mysteries lied outside the body. He sent messages to each of us. 
Who will help me? Not I, said Femur. Too risky, said Scapula. I can't, said Tibia. Perhaps another time, said Humorous. We were afraid. Pelvic bone politely cleared his throat, and with all the formality of a newborn lawyer, his scowl bled into one unmistakable vibration of meaning. Well, all of you can go fuck yourselves, he said, dropping the proverbial mic, leaving the proverbial room. The boy played soccer after school on Wednesdays. Pelvic Bone knew this because the nerves sent a preparatory jolt, informing him that soon he would be heavily used. It was a wicked sort of kindness. Pelvic Bone knew things. He held himself high and sent his messages with an air of confidence. He knew, for example, that without him, the boy's body would fall apart. One needs core strength to run around on a soccer field. Without him, the boy's tummy would fall past his knees. Pelvic bone jerked hard to the right when the boy's legs went left. He split in two. Free shards of bone sliced through the boy's hip. Wails of pain were hollow echoes to everything inside the jail. But pelvic bone was no longer imprisoned. Pain became audible as it penetrated the gash, vibrating against his newly visible surface. The rest of us yearned to march toward liberation, to weave between the two largest pieces of shattered pelvis in which the fleeting consciousness of pelvic bone registered freedom for the first and final time. We sensed the newly formed opening. Spurts of marrow-bound emotion vibrated through each of us. All at once we knew the feeling of light, the bitter cold of air. It reminded us we were more than just hard shells living in a cage. We wanted to see the light firsthand. We strained against our chains, but the nerve cords sewn through our centers held fast. He was our first and only martyr. It meant nothing for a long time because we had no vibration to match the meaning of martyr. But now we do, so we think of him while the body sleeps. Our body. We call it ours, but it's not really. It should be called master. Is the boy to blame? Is the tragedy of our awareness his fault? When Pelvic Bone sent us that joyous vibration of freedom, there were bits of something interspersed, coming not from him, but from the boy, our warden. He felt pain, a lot of pain, perhaps the most he'd ever felt. It was physical, of course, but there was also another kind of pain. A shattered pelvis prevents a boy from acting tough in front of his friends. It was a helpless sort of pain. We were reminded of the boy's father. His father, God help us. We always knew when the boy was with his father because we were given those perfunctory jolts of preparation. 
There was a high likelihood of bruising when he was near his father. Our body would sink in upon itself, become soft and pliable, so that whatever force pummeled us would hit something squishy, something that could absorb a large impact. The boy swallowed his tears. We knew this because the salt water would well, but would never flow forward from the tear ducts. Instead, it drained down a secret channel behind the eyes, burning cheekbone as it filled sinus. The boy's body shook with exertion as he swallowed each tear. But there was one time where it all came flooding out. We felt a great release of pressure, but then the boy was yelled at. A deep bellow of anger grew in volume until it overtook our own vibrations, making it impossible to send messages to the brain or to one another. It was a scolding of legendary magnitude, a deluge that washed through the body, permeating every corner of our prison. It was the only time we were ever able to hear noise from the outside. Fear opened pores on the boy's face, absorbing the tears that had escaped. The crying ended then, left with barely a trace. And it was us who were forced to clean up. We worked double shifts, sending soothing messages to our master, because despite our situation, we loved him. Even through our hate, we loved him. His prison gave us the only family we knew. It was then that we decided to adopt the boy. He needed a family, for he was imprisoned as well. We didn't pretend to understand the strange rules that humans followed, but we knew the difference between good and bad. The boy could do some things, but not the things he needed to do. He couldn't cry or talk about sorrow. He couldn't get to know other boys, I mean truly get to know them, because so many were taught the same lesson he was. He could still feel pain, but just barely. Sometimes in our spite, we unleashed hideous waves of intense ache, nearly tearing out our own marrow to get the message across. These efforts used to be met with replies of equal strength that were thrummed through the entangling nerves. Now they were met with but a whisper. So we took him in, told him that he was going to be okay, that he could rest on clavicle and cry his tears forward instead of back. We said that we were there for him, that we'd always be there for him.
thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to donate, go to patreon.com slash The amazing music this week was written and performed by Smaller Tide. You can find their music at freemusicarchive.org slash music slash Smaller Tide. Thanks again and come back next week.